Well, the Lord is here. He's with us. He's in our presence. He's in our midst. His word is living. It's active. It's powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And so when we stand to read this, I just want to remind you that we're, we're reading the breath of God, a living book. So let's stand together. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. This is our final sermon through the book of Galatians. It's been a blessing. Um, God's taught me a lot through this letter. Paul writing this, and you can see the heart of the Apostle Paul in what he writes in this last paragraph. And he starts out with an imperative command, oidete. It's an aorist command. It's past tense. He wants them to stop what they're doing and look at what Paul is writing. Because I believe at this moment, Paul turned to his amanuensis, the man who wrote the letter for all of Paul's epistles. He says, hand me the pen. And I'm going to write, not in minuscules, I'm going to write in uncials. I'm going to write in capital letters in the Greek. Because what I'm about to say is so important. And I want them to see what I'm writing. We all do that, even in text messages. A word that we want to emphasize, we will put it in all caps. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing right now at this moment. See, look, with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body... Greek word for marks is stigma. A stigma was given to a slave. And we use that same word today for something that's ignanimous, something that's repugnant. And he says, I have those marks. I have those stigmatas on my body. So don't anybody bother me anymore about this gospel because I'm willing to suffer for it. Don't anybody trouble me, for I have in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Father, today we ask, God, that you will help us understand the core teaching of the book of Galatians. And God, that we will live it out, not in the letter of the law, but in the spirit. Not written 
with ink today, God, but write it by your grace as by faith we stand in your promises and by the Spirit of the living God that we walk in his power moment by moment, acknowledging that when we came to Jesus, we have crucified our lusts and our desires. And whoever walks and lives in line with that rule of teaching, grace be upon them. That is the true Israel and people of God. May we reflect that at North Valley Bible Church, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Um, so yesterday, um, I was meditating on this passage, as I've been meditating on it for a couple of weeks now, and I won't use the word inspired because that's too powerful, but um, God spoke to my heart, and he does that to all of us as we meditate in his word, and we think about it, and we long to really grapple with it, and then I got the phone call this morning about Caleb not being here, and I shared with Caleb just a couple of thoughts about what is it that really matters in life? What is it that really matters? And I think Paul is sort of telling the Galatians, what is it that really matters? These false teachers were telling you that you need to get underneath their traditions, their rules, their regulations, their rituals. And it's strange that Paul says circumcision or uncircumcision, neither one of them really matters. And he doesn't take a hard line and say, stop being circumcised. He was just saying, don't get caught up with your traditions. There's nothing wrong with being a Jew. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about who you are and where you've come from. But that's not really what matters. And there's nothing great and wonderful about your liberty and your freedom in Christ. In fact, if you don't understand your freedom and your liberty, you're bound to exploit it and to use it for the wrong reasons. None of that really matters. What really matters is that Jesus Christ has come into your heart and your life, and he's done a work of regeneration and made you a new creation. And that's what we need to be all about at North Valley Bible Church. And so as I was thinking about that and just talking with Caleb on the phone briefly, I, I sat down and some of my thoughts came to me and I'm going to torture you with some of my poetry this morning. And so I, I wrote these thoughts and I entitled it based on this passage, What Really Matters? What really matters is a matter of perspective. Since God's opinion is final, maybe I should be a bit more selective. For the man of wisdom, it's his intellect. For the man of power, it's his influence. For the man of wealth, it's his resources. In the final analysis, it comes down to man's pride. And this is the sin for which our Savior died. For something to really matter, it must be eternal, immaterial, 
and change the soul. What matters to God is riches untold. To know his ways and to know his thoughts and to understand, that is the noblest goal for man. The Lord is sovereign, dwelling in heaven, doing what pleases him. What pleases him most is when free creatures choose to respond to his love, acknowledging him as king reigning above. His love is unfailing, his compassion unending, and knowing this, I will gladly boast. Man, apart from God, is shallow and vain, making his plans like the passing rain. His schemes and his ventures to no avail, as the changing of seasons, they're hopeless and frail. But when following Christ, nothing is lost. Every experience rewarded when I count the cost. The world with all its luster and attractions grows strangely dim when every possession is measured by him. To know him is to know life at its source and to love unbounded everything else returns to the ground. So I'm resolved to live for what matters by crucifying self and letting my trophies collect dust on a shelf. This doesn't happen naturally, so I must go to the cross. And when I do, everything on earth is nothing but dross. For the knowledge of Christ is far better than gold. And when I choose to live like this, I'll never grow old. God's word is so powerful. And if we just take time to ponder it and to let it sink into our lives, it changes the way we look at everything and what really matters. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. And when the things of this life are so important and they really matter to you, we begin to compromise and we begin to hedge so that we look good to people or we avoid difficult situations. And Paul talks about these people and he describes them in verse 12 as many as desire to make a good showing. So the hypocrite, he avoids persecution because he wants to make a good showing. He's more concerned about what people think of him rather than what God thinks of him. And that faces all of us. It challenges all of us because we're all concerned about our perception. All of us are concerned about what people think about us. And we all, at times, want to please people. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasing people so long as we're pleasing people that pleases God. But when it becomes sin is when we please people to the offense of God. In Galatians 1.10, Paul said, 
if I seek to please men, I am no longer the bond servant of Christ. Even Peter felt the pressure to please men. Remember Peter would eat with the Gentiles? He had an incredible revelation in Acts chapter 10 of a sheet coming down with all these Gentile foods on it, and it said, rise up, Peter, and eat. And he says, I've never eaten anything common. I've never eaten anything unclean. Nothing that Gentiles would ever touch has ever come into my mouth. And then God tells him to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he goes and sits in their house, and he enjoys the fellowship with them. And he's at Antioch, and a group from the mother church in Jerusalem come, and they visit Peter, and there Peter is sitting there hanging out at the lobster bar with the Gentiles. (laughs) And he gets up, and he scurries out of the room because it was an embarrassment to him. That's what we do when we're trying to please people. We're more concerned about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. But in the final analysis, what is it that really matters? What will you be held accountable for? It's what God thinks of you, and what are your priorities, what are your passions, and what are your joys? Galatians 5.11, Paul says, If I still preach circumcision, then the offense of the cross has ceased, and why do I still suffer persecution? All Paul had to do was tweak the gospel just a little bit to make it a little bit more palatable to the people around him, and he would have avoided persecution. Jesus said this, and this is the offense of the cross. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That's the offense. The cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are called, it is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. Where is it that they wanted to make this fair showing? So let's look at the text. They wanted to make this fair showing in the flesh. I think Paul is being tongue-in-cheek right here because he knows that this is where the circumcision is taking place but he's using it to draw attention to everything that was external. And that's what matters when we compromise. That's what matters to us when we're hypocrites. We are focusing on what is external as opposed to what's eternal and internal. What did they do? They compelled others to be circumcised. Fall in line with formalized religion. Paul asked Peter this question earlier in Acts chapter 2. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews do? 
any religion that's a religion of a compulsory nature is foreign to the New Testament. God wants our hearts to willingly follow him. I don't have to compel you to do anything. That's the Holy Spirit's job, isn't it? And when God does it, it is a commitment that lasts. Have you ever tried to turn over a new leaf or made a New Year's resolution? They last a couple of days, don't they? But when God does a settling work in your heart, that's something that's real and it lasts. Now, why did these people do it? We know who they were. They were the circumcision party. We know what they did. They were compelling people to be circumcised. But the important question is why? Why do I compromise? Why do I feel this pressure to look acceptable to people? And Paul gives us the answer here in verse 12. They do it, one, to look good in the flesh. They compel you to be circumcised. But here's the bottom line only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So first of all, we compromise to impress. But the most important reason that Paul gives here is to avoid the persecution of the cross, the offense of the cross, that I can somehow justify myself and that my good works are going to mean something at the judgment seat. That's the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross says all of my good works are nothing but dirty, filthy rags. That I am a sinner, that I am only saved by the grace of God, and the cross is an offense when I think somehow I merit and my good deeds are worth something. It's also an offense, this principle that salvation is of grace alone. I take no boasting for what I had done. Listen to me. Admitting that you cannot save yourself is nothing to boast about. Admitting that you need to trust Jesus Christ does not merit your salvation. Because there's a false teaching going around saying that if you believe that that's a work and somehow your faith has merited salvation. No, your faith is not a good work that merits anything. All you're doing is simply acknowledging that, yes, I am a sinner and that I need a Savior. When the prodigal son returned home, his words did not merit forgiveness. All he did was admit and acknowledge that, Dad, I am no longer worthy to be your son. It was all of the Father's grace, all of the Father's goodness, all of the Father's love that said, kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, put a robe around him, for my son that was dead is now alive. So we don't even boast in our faith because it is God who draws us it is his word that brings about faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I don't have to wait for God to do some kind of irresistible work before I can believe. 
God has given that to every one of us, and every one of us will be accountable for God how we respond to his message. And to teach that and to preach that causes an offense. How can I tell that our actions are hypocritical? I want to know that. How, when, when do I know that? Well, verse 13 tells us. Look at the word for. How do I know when I'm acting like a hypocrite? How do I know when I'm trying to avoid persecution? Verse 13, I know I'm a hypocrite for, when, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. You're putting emphasis on something that you yourself know that you cannot do, and you're judging others for something that's impossible for them to do, and you can't even do it yourself. That's when we know that we're being a hypocrite. The ones troubling the Galatians weren't able to keep the law, keep the law themselves, thus proving that the law does not even merit salvation. Remember what Paul said earlier in this letter. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them. It is evident that no one is justified by the law, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by being a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's what it's all about. The other purpose is so that they could boast in their flesh. It says in verse 12, they do it to boast in your flesh. So the two reasons that Paul gives that I know I'm being hypocritical is what I want to look good on the outside and I'm corrupt on the inside and secondly, when I'm not even doing those things myself and I can't even hope to live up to them. So what is the standard that you and I are to live by? The standard is simple. The standard is the cross and the standard is a new creation. Verses 14 through 16. But God forbid. It's a figure of speech in the Greek and that's not a bad translation but literally, it's meganoitoi, which means, may this never be. May this never happen. That I should boast, that I should glory. They wanted to boast in the externals, didn't they? What is it that God wants you and I to boast in? What is it that really matters to God? It's the internal. It is the cross. The cross is paradoxical. No one in the first century would have ever thought about boasting in a cross. That was ridiculous. And somehow in our generation, that's kind of lost its, its emphasis. But the cross in the first century was a sign of disgrace. Those who avoided persecution... Uh, boasted, boasted in external things. But let us boast in what is nobler. It's difficult for us in 21st century America 
to understand what the cross meant because it's become a sacred symbol to us. It's even respectable to wear it as jewelry or as a necklace. But to realize the unspeakable horror and the loathing of the very mentioning or the thought of the cross provoked in Paul's day. Origen, who was one of the early Greek fathers, called the death of the cross utterly vile. To the Jew, it was scandalous. To the Greek, it was absurdity. And I quote, For the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. For the Jews demand a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, scandalous to the Jews, moronic to the Gentiles, folly. But to those who are called both Greeks and Jews, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is an instrument of death. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross that which is ignominious. By whom? Now that pronoun could also be translated by which. And I think it's probably better translated by which, referring back to the cross because of the context. By which The world has been crucified to me. You see, the cross is an instrument of death. It's by where something dies. The cross, what does it do for you and I? The world is permanently fenced off from you and I. The world is going to bombard you with temptation. The world's going to bombard you with discouragement. All you have to do is watch the news for five minutes, and the world is coming at you. And all we have to do is say, I am crucified to that. The world, its temptations, its glamour, its glitz, I'm dead to it. The cross has turned the world's value systems upside down. I'm crucified to it. It was through weakness that we get our victory. It's through surrender that we win. It is through poverty that our lives are enriched. It's through giving to others that we gain. It's through sacrifice that we win. We make a radical reassessment of every value in the light of the cross. I am permanently fenced off also from the world. I have a new citizenship. You have a new citizenship. We have new hopes. We have new dreams. We have new desires. The cross in this letter represents faith, not works. It represents grace, not keeping law to be approved by God. It means accepting God's promises, not human wisdom and human effort. It means walking in the Spirit and not in our flesh. What really matters? It is striking that Paul simply says that circumcision is irrelevant. He said this twice now. In Galatians 5, 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but it's faith working energeo, faith that is energized, not just faith, Faith that is energized because of your love. 
That's what matters to God. And Paul writes it here. I think in Paul's mind, and I'm convinced of this, that Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 25 were running through his mind when he wrote this. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, not let the rich man glory in his wealth, but let him glory, glory in this, that he knoweth and understandeth me. If you want to boast in something today, Boast in the fact that you know Jesus Christ through the crucifixion on the cross. That you are a new creation in him. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Now people often quote this, but the very next verse says this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with uncircumcision. And Paul had to be thinking of that when he was writing this letter to the Galatians. Peace on all who walk according to this rule, this canon. This is the final analysis. Paul had all the stigmas of following Jesus Christ and enduring persecution for the cause of the Christ. He wrote the Corinthians, and he says this about the false teachers and the false apostles. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. Imprisonments more frequent. In deaths often. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes except one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I suffered shipwreck. A night, a day, I've spent in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils in false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, watchings often, hunger and thirst, fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides all those things that are on the outside, that which comes upon me daily, the care for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not? If I must glory, I will glory in the things concerning my infirmities. What is it that really matters to you today? And find that out through God's word, his revelation, and live for that. Crucify the world and crucify yourself with Christ. You are a new creation. That is the standard that God wants us to walk by. Let's close in prayer. Father, Thank you, God, for this profound letter. God, I pray that it will impact our lives and our thinking. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.